So they went by laser. Really? Mm. What makes you do that? Well, you know, um, it's no boat work. Yeah. There's no development. Yeah. Nothing to do. You just turn up and you just jump on and hike, 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 hike. Welcome to Lasercast. This week we talk about the new aluminium section that's exactly the same as the old aluminium section. How to build a hiking bench at home. And the greatest in like, Dacron sales. <laughs> so, I've got a big question. Has Dave killed mothblogging? Because I think I'm like 50% of all the posts on there. Yeah, but you're blogging too much. Well, there's nothing, no one else is blogging. freaking three days. <laughs> It's making what it is. It's making everybody else look bad. See, the more you blog, the more slack other people look. I think everyone should. If everyone did one post a week, then there'd be plenty of content. We had two thousand downloads from last show. Really? Two thousand over two thousand downloads. And how many did you download the Celpers? Um, twice because I downloaded the MP4 to test it. And the MP3. To test what about it? the immediate thing like? Brothers and parents. I burn them. I, I send them CDs in the mail. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't. Okay, so we had 1,998 listeners. So what I want to know is who all these people are listening because there's, there's not 2,000 Mothies, is there? No, there will be 2,000 Mothies. This show's pretty shit so far. I'm telling you what, we just need. Let's see. We need. Um, we need. Hey, Bruce. What? I know what the Back problem with our show is. What's that? We need content. We need content. content. <laughs> Oh, who would have thought? So what's going on in the news? Is there any news that's newsworthy? Well, I suppose we, um, since the last show, we have to really talk about Rowan stepping out and and Blade Rider. It's um, it's all very quiet on the Blade Rider website. There hasn't been an update since since Nathan won the US Nationals. I think obviously that's because Rowan used to run the website and he's not there anymore. Um, I think it's it's a real shame that Rowan's stepped out, but I sort of understand it. I think when you turn your hobby into your job and, you know... What do you say? <laughs> no, I'm saying, no, you, 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 you know... Oh, should have turned it off. It's Dad Lister. Is it? Hello? Yeah, can you hear me? At Bruce's place, we're doing a modcast. You want to come? Come on. Come on. Stir some shit up again. Yeah, just the two of us. Like the good old days. You want to come around? Not after last time. Yeah, maybe you can write down what you're going to say first, and then if we if we think it's all right, we'll approve it. Then you then you can say it. All right. <laughs> See you later. You know what? We're really not doing this properly today. No, we're not. We we are way too amateurish. <laughs> well, we need to uh, get serious. Bit more enthusiasm. Alright. Hi, welcome to November Mothcast. Um, I'm Bruce McLeod and with me, as usual, is Luke Ademek. Yes. So we've got um, a fair bit of news, Bruce. Um, yeah, there's What's a... What's been happening? Well, it's, it's been both um, quite fast and slow. 
So it's been a while since we've had a last show, so a fair bit has happened, but it feels like it's going in a snail's place. So I suppose the biggest news is um, things are very, very quiet in the land of Blade Rider. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if anybody knows what's going on, but Brian's gone. That was a shock. That's for sure. Well, or was it? Was it a shock? It, I think unexpected. Well, unexpected. I think not not unexpected, but I think it happened very, very quickly. Yeah, you'd have to think that the World Championships um, had something to do with it. You know, was that a last ditch effort before they closed shop? Yeah, they closed shop. Oh, the, the, the website's still up. Uh, yeah. I haven't heard that they've shut down. Um, but I think it almost comes down to was the World Championships a bet the company regatta for the last ditch efforts to to um, do well and sell more votes? Yeah, yeah. It's, look, we're all speculating, but you'd have to think so because um, you know you've got Nathan and Ryan to put. You know, Nathan's a hell of a sailor, and um, you know, Bora did fantastic, but Nathan is a professional sailor, so. You know, he did really well to come second to Blade Rider. But having said that, um, Blade Rider didn't win. And everybody's putting um, Nathan's speed down to his stealth rather than the, the boat that he was sailing. And every, does that so conversely, does that mean everyone thinks that Bora's speed came from the boat? Because that's certainly not true. No, Bora's a hell of a sailor too. But if I ask you what's quicker, Blade Rider than, or a Mark II, what would you say? I would say it depends. And, and I'll run with you on this for a second. For someone like me, and I would actually say for 90% of the fleet, there would probably be little to no difference around the course whether you're sailing a well-set-up Blade Rider versus a well-set-up Mark II. Yeah, I think yeah, there would be with that absolutely no difference. Psychologically, if you want to have the latest, you know, the latest gadget, the latest model moth that's there, the, the 2009 boat as opposed to a 2007 boat, then you'd want to get a Mark too. It's a funny class, isn't it? You know, everybody wants to have the latest and greatest. And it probably, you know, it probably makes no difference. You're still sailing a prowler and you're still pretty damn quick. Well, I don't know. I haven't lined up against anybody for a little while, but but there's people that, um, you know, they're fantastic in the class and yeah, much better sailors than I am. But, and, um, and they obviously have the classes package. But there's a lot of people also that aren't really quite there with boat speed, but they still want to have the fastest and shiniest looking boat. And it's almost a, it's like an accessory rather than a, than a sport or a boat. You know, like it, I have a feeling it's turning like a little bit into cycling. You know, with cycling you go, you know, there's all sorts of gizmos, carbon fiber, lever brakes, and um, everything is just accessorized to buggery. I, I think for 99% of the people, it doesn't make any difference. Now, I, I definitely think there's a difference. I'll, I'll, use, I'll go with what I know. I'll go with, I'll use it as a comparison, a prowler with a with blade rider. And I've, I've talked about this in some of the papers that I've written. A blade rider has, um, if you like, out of the box, a bit of a more refined control system, or it has historically. So the new prowlers have got it completely sorted. But um, their bell crank is, is bigger. So they're, I think it's 40 40 versus 25 25 mil in adjustment. And the flap's bigger. So I think, in my opinion, a Blade Rider out of the box will probably work across a wider range of conditions and be more controllable. Than what? Than, than, than an out-of-the-box prowler, which has a yeah. slightly smaller flap and, and a smaller small bell crank. But, well, not anymore. I think the new flap's the same size. Okay, I'm talking about what I historically are. Yeah. Sorry, okay, historically. But 
Dave and yourself have proved, people that have had prowlers and tweaked them have proven that a tuned tweak prowler is just as fast, if not faster in certain conditions than anything else. Than, yeah. than anything else. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. Part of it is people are wanting to buy setup. They want to be able to buy a boat that they can jump in and not have to engineer to get as quick as anything else. But the funny thing is it's not that sort of a class. It's not viable long term because things are constantly moving. Things are constantly changing. There's new different lines or gearing or, you know, it's, everything is moving. There's dials. Oh. There's one that length adjusters on your one. There's, I don't think it's it's feasible for a manufacturer to keep up with all the latest gizmos and, and put them on every boat that goes out the door. Well, I, I, I don't agree, but I do agree. I don't agree in that a manufacturer could as a, as should, should be selling upgrades. So, for example... Yeah, I think they should be? No, I think they should be. So, just so, I'll use an example of Blade Runner. The Blade Runner X8 ships, that's the base model. In six months' time, they, they just build a new foil package. Do they upgrade the base model? Maybe, maybe not. But they should sell... Here's the new hot, hot, you know, bottom that you bolt on your existing X8 that you bought six months ago. Or you can buy the X8 1.1, and so the new model comes up. So, think of it like a computer, right? As new models come... As they cycle, the, new, the models get upgraded... There's nothing to stop you, for example, buying the faster memory or faster hard disk and putting it on your existing computer, but the actual factory model might, might tweak up. But if the, you're chasing your tail a little bit because if, if there's a new upgrade once every three months in form of a wand or a linkage or something, you know, that means that you have to change your process and your tooling and manufacturing as well to, to accommodate for that. So if there's a new wand, your old one mold no longer works and you have to build a new one. As a manufacturer, you want to standardize things and just pump them out. As soon as you're constantly chasing, it's... But if you don't, if you don't do that, then what happens? Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. But then if you don't do that, then what happens? Someone comes out and builds a complete brand new boat. They launch a website and go, here's the latest thing since blah, 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 blah. And they'll probably generate, sell 40 boats just off, a, just off a website. Yeah, but you'll still tweak that boat. You know, it'll come out, it'll be really fast, but six months later or three months later, you'll still have something new on it that's making it a little bit better. So I suppose here's my point. As a manufacturer, should you, not be sell- should you or should you not be selling upgrades that owners themselves would otherwise have to make to be competitive? Well, now it's a million dollar question. Well, you know, it'd be so nice if they did, but I think it's—I don't think it's ever going to happen. I think it's just too much work. Well, so he, he, well, what what stopped Blade Rider from designing V two foils that bolt horizontals that bolt on the existing rudder and centre board and making them available to every single? Yeah, Blade but that's Rider a major out. design change. That's a true. That's, I'm not denying that, but what, what's happening now in reality? In reality, all the Blade Rider owners are selling Blade Riders and buying Mark twos. Yeah. Oh, yeah, look, I think that was a bad move. So you I don't think that you can sit on one design for, you know, even three or four years in the Moss Fleet and still be competitive after four years. So absolutely... It's, it's not that sort of class. You know, so absolutely, you you know, you have to move forward. I suppose the, the question is, at what rate do you do it? Uh, <laughs> you know, how quickly do you, as a manufacturer... What's do you, sustainable, yeah. You know, so I... You know, I'm actually I'm very surprised that we didn't hear about an upgraded foil package for a Blade Rider until... For the World Championships. I mean, obviously, Rowan and um, a couple of other guys mucked around with different riders, but but you're right. There was nothing really that came out and, you know, 
this was the new foil package for 2009. Uh, it's kind of a little bit, maybe too little too late. And I suppose the um, the, the challenge with Blade Runner is I think a lot of their energy has just been gone into manufacturing. So Jing Lee, McConaughey, Top Key, a lot of their energy, which should have probably been making the boats go faster, has been put into you know moving from one manufacturer to another. Yeah, I mean, I just... I get um, slaughtered for the comments that I say sometimes, but the quality of the latest Blade Riders was absolutely appalling. <laughs> you know, the, the McConaughey ones look great and they had issues, but the last few boats that they built really were substandard. Yeah. And not many people even saw that because, you know, the, there was a few in Sydney and maybe a lot of the guys in Europe didn't see those boats, but they weren't good. <laughs> um, well, the X8 well, were, were a brilliant looking boat. Yeah, they look good. They had a few little um, engineering issues, you know, like um, things that, you know, Veng uh, uh, supports pulling out and a few cracks of the wing bars and little things like that. But you're right, they look good. They were shiny and they... So so my, so my point is, I think, if, if Blade Rider was still making X-Aids with an upgraded foil package... Would they be selling boats? Would they be selling boats? If they were built to the X8 standard. If they were built to the X8 standard and they were an upgraded four package, you know. As long as they cost less than a Mark II, yeah. All the same. Because well, for the same, you just go buy a Mark II, wouldn't you? You just buy the latest and greatest. Why would you buy a Mark I design when you can buy a Mark II design? But my point is, though, would it be a Mark I? It shouldn't be. Oh, the hull's still the same, then you kind of feel. Yeah. So what happens next though? Okay, yeah, Assassin have come out with their new super thin foils. Um, is that are they? Is that the next step from from oh, Mark II? Or oh, it might be. But look, you know, we'll just see. All this is just really hard to tell at this stage. I mean, the, the Assassin foils look good. They look awfully a lot like Prowler foils in the plane. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but. Um, but I like but the sections. The sections obviously aren't. Yeah, it, that's just a plan, uh, which really doesn't mean all that much. But um, yeah, yeah, well, we'll have a chance to have a look at them. There's a, it's a guy, um, Jack Andrews, who's a really good uh, six minute scoop sailor. Yeah, that's joining the fleet, and he's getting one of the first um, sets of foils with his boat. So we'll probably know in about two weeks what they look like, and we'll have a go on shore on his boat. <laughs> Would be former Q. Are we can set, instead of selling tickets for Dave's boat, we can sell tickets for Jack. <laughs> I think he wants to set up, so that'd be a good place to just kind of go out and hey, see I'll, what I'll, like. I'll set it up for you, Jack. I'll set it up for you. Yeah, I think um, that's, that's another challenge of the Blade Rider. If you think of, and of course, this is all just opinion, not based on fact. Before anyone jumps on the phone and says, you know, we're just having a chat about it, um, so it may be all completely wrong. Um, You've got Mark II at the high end, and you have Assassin nibbling away at the low end. I'm guessing that's pretty much killed off the FX and whole idea as well, is that you had, you know, the Assassin, you know, from what I can tell, what I hear, it's selling quite a few boats. Well, from, from what Rowan told me, the FX idea was quite different from the very start. It was to design almost a one-design class within the moth class that was affordable, and it could branch off into its own... Blah, 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 one design, one design, one design. Well, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, but, but there was the plan. It was designed as a new product that was a part of the moth class while it was, you know, in the early stages, and then once they built a critical majority of people okay. in the moth class, they were going to separate and become... A Blade Rider FX recognised class with their own regattas and their own championships, and and maybe run uh, parallel to moths, maybe at the same event, so they have some sort of ties with the moth class. But essentially, the idea was a one design class within the moth class. Well, I'll tell you why. 
Last week, went out on my boat, right? Had my setup sorted, started flying. A nut came loose in the bell crank. And so over the course of the race, my performance took the same boat. The boat performance at the start of the race and at the end of the race was completely different. That's with the same boat around the same course on the same day. If you've got 21 design moths and all you have to do is stiffen something or tighten something or loosen something, the performance is going to be heaps different. You you can't be one design in a a moth. When you're talking a millimetre or two millimetres of adjustment making a huge difference, you can adjust things. I mean, if one design class doesn't mean you can't adjust things. Yeah, but the whole idea of one design is that the boats are of the same performance and the skipper makes the difference. I'm saying you'll never get that with a moth because they are so tune dependent. Yeah, but that's like any other class. So that's like four seventies. They're pretty tuning dependent. But they're not one design. They're the same height. Well, they're the same sails, but they're not one design. You know. So what's one design in a laser? Oh my god! A true one design class. I don't think there is such a thing. A laser have to be, wouldn't it? I suppose. But yeah, but the problem with the laser is that the 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 hulls go soft. So if you had a laser that didn't go soft. But that's the beauty of it. Everybody's got a laser that goes soft, so they all... <laughs> Except for the guys that don't. I mean, look, I'm not a pro one design. I'm pro development. But I do see some merit in the one design class. I think it can work. It's just that it, it, I wouldn't have tried to build it as a moth. I think, you know, if there was the plan, maybe they should have just invented a 13-foot moth that's, that, you know, was more wide and stable and it was just a completely different kind of... You know, can of worms. Just like a completely um, different. RS600 FF. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, a, di- a slightly different concept. It could be based on a moth, but essentially, uh, it, it, maybe they could have started something completely different. And then um, then you wouldn't have the whole tie with the moth class and people saying, oh, you know, it's stopping development, it's pinching numbers. You kind of just give it a go as a, as a thing of its own. So I suppose that's another interesting point to talk about development in the class okay the moth is a development class always has been started as a scout you know with box rule blah 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 I think I get a vibe from a few comments that I've had and a couple of emails that I had that a lot of people either aren't happy or don't understand the development side of things now there was um, I got a little bit crucified for saying no development happens in our last podcast, we talked about development happening in Sydney. Obviously, a shitload of development happens in Melbourne if you count AMAC. No, no, I just wanted to clarify. If you count AMAC and Blade Rider, but I'm talking, what I was talking about was at a club level, people you turn out and say, hey, look at this new gadget that I made. Right? Obviously, a ton of development happens in Melbourne. But I was basing the comments on what someone else said to me. <laughs> so, so, there you go. But, um, yeah, so my point is, if you're sailing a moth, it's a development class. So, if you come into the class and expect not to be building things, then it's not the class for you. At the pointy end, anyway. No. Well, even at the blunt end. <laughs> Is there such a thing as blunt end? It's blunt end. The back end? That's how I refer to myself. The back end. You'd think if there's a pointy end, there'd be a blunt end. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's not that sort of class. But things always break and... Unfortunately, so I think it's so fix them. Just to keep cycling around this point before we do it to death. Are people who aren't so people that want to sell moths, they want to be at the front of the class, but they 
can't or don't have the, or don't want to do the development, and are they just buying the latest and greatest boat as a way of jumping up their development curve? Yeah, oh, absolutely. But I think most of the top guys are doing that, um, with an exception of you know Dave and uh, I don't know Bora, I guess. The, the, people like. Um, I don't want to name names, but there's a person, person, X. Person, person X. There's a hotshot, um, I don't know, 49er sailor or an 18 sailor or whatever. Um, Not really. Has had all the training <laughs> throughout their youth and they're very talented and keen and they want to win a world championship. Um, most of the time, people like that are the tinkerers. They are the trained, fantastic sailors, very talented, and they just sit in the boat and they make it go fast by sailing well and they win. Because they sail well, but they, they don't have the boat speed necessarily. You know, they'll they'll, yeah, they'll do sometimes really well in a boat that's not, not all that fast. But they want to just buy a boat out of the box and just sail as many times a week as they can and win. And um, you know, it's it's a different type of sailor to the guy that's that likes to tinker and. Uh, and maybe win on boat speed. There's a lot of people that just win on boat speed. Well, how, how do you get boat speed, right? We were just looking at a GPS trace earlier of, of an upwind. You're, and you were, in that particular day, you were three knots in a straight line faster than me upwind. How do I get three knots upwind? Like, what's the... You, you just go, oh, okay, well, do I lean harder? Do I... Am I just, yeah, like, three knots. It's like, you know, it's like, how do I get another 15%? You know, if I go and buy a Mark II, will I get another three knots? Will I get four knots? Will I get... Two, you know, two knots. I, I, you know, that's, 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 and that's what you're trying to solve. It's like the, how do you get to the pointy end? How do you get that boat speed? Do you buy it, or you have to get it some other way? I think you have to get it some other way. Well, yeah. I think you buy it, and then you get it. Uh, you, you buy most of it, and then you do the rest yourself. I think that's probably the, the best way to go. You go and buy a really fast package, and then maybe you do a little bit of work developing that really fast package, and. And you end up with Bora did. So Frank Bethwaite talks about this in his book. He talks about the guy who sails in the middle of the, who's coming into the class or sails in the middle of the fleet and goes, I want to win. So they walk up to the when the when the, the leader the guy who won the championship, they buy his boat, they hop in the boat, and do they do they win? No. They sail in exactly the same position where they were because the boat is not holding them back. Well that's what you gotta assess you know, is the boat holding you back or is your ability holding you back? At the top of the fleet, if you had a good boat, well, then maybe it's time to go buy a good boat. I mean, there's plenty of people that have been mid-fleet and bought nice, shiny, fast boats, and now they're the front of the fleet. It works both ways. Yeah. But is that a... you just got to recognise what is the time that the boat is making a difference for you. But I think um, with the moth, and with Zelp in particular, I think there is this, a new magic bargain land of a really good boat that isn't set up properly, that you can buy second-hand... Set it up and yeah, and do, do, really well. do really well. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of boats for sale now. I don't know, overseas as well as Australia, I guess. But um, I think the price has come down for second-hand market. Well, the Aussie well, dollar's gone up, so the, the price of <laughs> new Mark II's come down by about three grand as far as we can see. Yeah, yeah, it has. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a fantastic thing for the class. If you can go and spend, you know, uh, 12000 30000 Australian, which is, I don't know, What's it, 7,000 euro, I guess? Oh, I uh, with, with the current <laughs> exchange rates and, and get a boat that's capable of um, being top 10 in the nationals. Yeah. You know, it's, that's great for the class. That wasn't the case a couple of years ago. But just because the boat can do it doesn't mean... 
mm. and skip the world. But it, coming to another issue here that, that we've always talked about, and that you know I brought it up years ago at the uh, World Championships in Melbourne. Where you want to ban my four foils, don't you? I, I, I don't want to ban anything. I think <laughs> the class should have some sort of a restriction on number of equipment you use in a regatta. I think that um, while development is fantastic and it should be encouraged as it is, I don't think it would be a bad thing for the Moss to, to just say, look, uh, World Championships, you can register... One sale, one hull, one set of foils. Or maybe we should decide that it's two sales in one hull and one set of foils. But I think essentially some sort of a restriction of what you can rock up with is not a bad thing for the class. Because at the moment you can go and, and register, you know, you don't even have to register foils, you just rock up with your hull, they measure the hull, the foils don't really uh, checks anyway. You could potentially have six sets of hydrofoils that you come to the regatta with. And it's not a really problem. It's not a problem for the class now, but it's a potential problem in uh, you know three or four five years later down the track. I mean, well, I can't. You know, what what could happen is that we might find that uh, really small foils are just so much quicker in the heavy stuff that you have to have a small set, and then in the medium conditions you got to have a medium sized set of foils, and and then the light stuff you got to have these really chunky high lift massive foils that get you up in four knots. So, you, you know, I, I, see, I think this will happen. You'll have probably three sets of foils that's, that kind of cover the range of conditions that you're sailing during a regatta. And maybe you'll have a support boat on the water if you are lucky enough to have something like that. They will have the other two sets of foils that you're not using. And it's like, oh, look, it's kicked into 12 knots. Foil change, buddy. You know, <laughs> here's your heavily foils. Well, and Well, it's funny you mention that because I've got my current foil. I've got my old spare which is right, I've got my current foil, which is my, my, my prowler east foil. I've got my Blade Rider foil, which I'm going to set up to in waves and chop. I've got my new foil, which I'm designing, and that is going to be designed for high end. My parents are bringing their yacht to Belmont. So, so they're going to carry your foils for out there, Bruce? Well, if, if they're going to jump well, in the water, we don't need to say about it. Well, well, no, but the point is if they're going to be out, if I'm going to have a yacht on the race course, I might as well have my foils on the boat, on the yeah. yacht, so I can sail up to it and change a foil over if I want to. Yeah. So I, I see, look, I mean, and bottom line is that foils are quite expensive. So if you, you know, if you can get away with one set of foils, that's better for the class than if you need to uh, four sets or three sets to be competitive. True. Surely uh, people would agree that it's better for the class to oh. spend four or five grand on a set of foils instead of spending 20 grand to be Well, I agree, but if you remember, I, there's a little investment that my brother and I made. I don't need to spend 20 grand. I have no. a CNC machine. That's right. So I'm, and I'm, when I'm, you know, now I've gone for two piece to get my Blade Rider foil up and working. I'm designing bottoms. Yeah. So I'm just going to, um, unlike I'm going to actually like proper nuts in the floor so I won't thread the carbon when I change when I change them out. So I will, as long as it makes me faster, I won't it makes me slower. And what's really important here, because I know... I'm, I'm doing it. Yeah, but what, what I'm, what's I wish really I didn't important here as well is that I'm not trying to say that we should restrict development. I'm just trying to say that you go and develop right up until the Nationals or the World Championships with your four or five sets of hydrofoils, that's fine. But when you rock up to the event, you just register one set. That's where I'd, see the, I'd like to see the restriction, is that what you use at the event is just the one set that you've decided is the quickest. No, absolutely, it should be like that. Imagine trying to do what I'm doing if you actually had to buy them all. Hmm. 
you're talking six grand worth of main foils and, you know. And the thing is, when I brought this up in Melbourne, you know, everybody said, oh, look, it's not really a problem for the class. It's nobody's rocking up to the venue with four sets of hydrofoils, and that's a valid point. But I think once you get to the stage where that is happening, then it's too late. If you ban it now, oh, people won't care, you know, I've only got my set of foils from my Mark II, so it doesn't really make any difference. Well, well, what, well what concerns you more is rigs. Well, for me personally, right? You, you work at a mass manufacturer, so obviously it's less of a concern <laughs> for you, right? So I can make fours, but I can't make rigs. So currently I'm still using a, a Burble mast and an $800, you know, second-hand yeah. MSL 11, which got for well, the thing back is, in you know, we've had a restriction since the early days that you can only register one hull for a championship. You weren't allowed to rock up with four hulls and choose the one that works best in 5 knots and 20 knots. This is low riding days I'm talking about. So, effectively, the foils are a new hull. They're, they're optimised for conditions that you're sailing. So, why allow one hull only, but four sets of hydrofoils? You know, if there's a restriction on a hull, there should be a restriction on hydrofoils. And, yeah, I agree. But the, the bottom from... I agree in that with one equipment rule, you lose nothing. So basically, if people want to spend money, they can still still spend. They can still spend money. Right. They, they can do all their development before the regatta and sell. But you the don't set. have to spend the money. That's right. Do you know that you can buy one set of foils that you're really really happy with? Yeah. You can have your one mast and your one sail, and you won't get beaten in a large race because there's a guy next to you that's got a really a second centerboard that's a lot higher lift. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or a, or they won't be heaps quicker in the. You know, yeah. in the heavy stuff because they get a lower drag. Yeah, I mean, they can... no, I, I don't know. I think that that should sort of happen in the class, but um, yeah, if they do it in motorsport, they do it in Formula One. Like that's got basically unlimited budget compared to what we're talking about. So I don't see any reason why. And I'm not, so, you know, and also, uh, what are we restricted to? Is it one centerboard or one rudder, or is it two centerboards and one rudder? You know, that's open interpretation, but some sort of restriction. I think it's very simple. Possibly two sails. I mean, most people are running two sails now. No, I think you go for one. I think you're, uh, uh, you I, could go for one. I, there's no reason. To, I think it's fairer if you go for one because then then the light guys have to carry a lot of sail in the heavy stuff. They they can't just go to a thinner, yeah, lighter sail. Yeah. And conversely, so that equalises the yeah. slows the light guys down in the heavy stuff, but the heavy guys can't have a fuller sail that's in the right, light stuff. Right. So the sail has to work from you know five to twenty five knots. And that's the thing; it, it encourages development. It actually is better for the class because when you go and design a sail, you have to design one that works across a broad range of conditions instead of just in ten to twelve knots. And you can't have a super stiff mast. And a super soft mast. Yeah, you have to go for one mast that works. It's containing costs. So anyway, we'll see what other people think about this. But yeah, exactly. Well, well, the the one of the convert one of the big things against it that I've heard is that you if you turn up to a regatta and your boat's not working. So look at me, say for example, me at um at maybe I sail Geelong, me Geelong, right? I turn up with a boat that's not working. And I go, someone goes there and I get off and, oh, I'll see you when you fall. And I buy you fall at the regatta and put it on. That's the arguments I've heard against why you shouldn't have it. But if you're going to come up to a regatta with a boat that you haven't sailed, you're not, gonna I'm d- not talking about you, but a, a person X rocks up to a regatta with a new set of foils that he's just built and they're not work and he's not allowed to change for something else. Well, then, tough titties. I mean, 
if you're silly enough to rock up to a regatta with a boat you haven't sailed, then you deserve to be punished by bad results. But here's, if something doesn't but here's the thing. I think in actual fact, you would be able to change. Because all you would need to do, and this is a, you, it's all about how you write the rule. Break it. <laughs> no, 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 you don't break it. You just have to get written permission from... From the, oh, I guess from the, the committee the that you can change. I mean, I guess it gets a bit funny there because no, but it doesn't you matter. allowed one guy to do that, but not the. But other. even if you do, even if you allow, even if you, if I allow, if you know, you come up mid 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 regatta and go, oh, my main falls cracked. I want to change from this one to that one. They'll let you do it once. You should be. Able you won't to be able. Case. You won't be able to do it twice, and you definitely won't be able to do it day to day. No, that's right. But look, you should be able to. There, there has to be some sort of a discretion. Discretion that where you know, if you break a centerboard, you are allowed to to use another one, and you have to bring the broken one to the rest committee and say, "Look, here's you know, in two pieces, three pieces, however many." Yeah, it's just make it a discretion, or you know, because in, in or you or you do it like Formula One does, and in, in Formula One. If you go, you've got the rule, and if you go outside the restriction, so you know you've got six engines or whatever it is, right? You break an engine, you go and say, "Oh, I need to change my engine," and they go back ten grid slots. So what, it might be the same here. It might be you change the penalty. No, no well, you, exactly on your race result. Maybe you get a, you know, you get one, you get your race, you get an extra 10, 10 points or an extra twenty points on, on on a result that you can't drop. You can write rules for it. Yeah, you can. Okay, no, I think it's. Well, I think it'd be worth bringing up at the next um, uh, AGM and just to see if they can get through because I think they might have actually brought it up in the last one. I'm not sure. Yeah, we won't need to tell, but no. maybe somebody can um, correct us if we're wrong. But um, if it did, I wonder what the result was. Yeah. Who knows? So, what else is going on, Luca? There's a few rumours flying around. Oh, rumours? You mean um, rumours, as in rumours, as in they may or may not be true? Yeah, yeah, something like that. There's a few that, um, oh, I guess there's a certain UK company that could be starting um, uh, a production of what? Really? Yeah, yeah. Glossraptor's back? No, not Glossraptor, no. no. Mike Cook's got an investor. Uh, no, but he's doing fine, I'm sure. He's, um, no, it's, it's another manufacturer that's fairly large, probably the largest in the UK. It's got a, I think, five boats or four boats that they're building at the moment. What? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Um, the Hawk project, I, I take it, didn't get off the ground, so this is the um, ah. the second thing they might be trying to do. But that's pretty exciting because they're, they're quite reputable. And we'll see what the product is like. I, I think it's a fairly standard boat. I don't think it's going to be anything too uh, radical uh, along the lines of, you know, maybe Blade Rider. <laughs> Question marks there. I don't know. <laughs> Design wise, you know, like just sort of fairly standard looking uh, something that works. But okay, that's um, well built. Do we need another moth manufacturer? Yeah, in, in the middle of the fleet. No, look, I, I, look, I think we need more manufacturers. I think I'd like to see ten manufacturers that make twenty boats a year. I'd oh yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. That'd, that'd be good. Like yeah. you know, Mark Thorpe, John Arlott, you know, that I'd love to have twenty of those guys, but. Like all those sort of small boutique manufacturers, yeah. Like, you know, Marty Johnston, those sort of guys. Do we need another big commercial manufacturer? Are they going to be? I don't know how big it'll get. It may not be um, all that big. He's the, okay, so what are you aiming for? Are you aiming to be the fastest boat in the fleet? The cheapest boat in the fleet? Is there another slot for the best looking there boat? There might be a fleet? slot for another UK builder. Maybe it's, or even in Europe. There's a fair bit of demand there. You've got um, Michael Cook supplying boats, but. 
everything else gets imported. Am I right there? Is there anything else in Europe that's mass-produced? Not really. I'm not sure. There might be a couple of little guys, but if you want a boat, I guess, in France... Well, because Mistress have been long. Mistress is finished, I think, but, um, you know, it's not a bad thing. There's, there's enough demand there for another UK builder. So is he importing another boat from China or wherever? Yeah, but why would you buy one? It's a Mark II. Well, so what's the if I'm again the same discussion about the whole well, why it's hard market. market it has to be better you know, it has to be faster it has to be better built it has to be cheaper it has to be offer something that the other guys don't offer a colour other than clear black maybe it comes in a different colour yeah <laughs> <laughs> but look it's a good thing I mean um, I don't know where it will go if the five boats are just a one off thing or if, if um, I don't even know if it's five, but I know there's a few. Well, do you know if there's a prototype, handle prototypes, or are they gone straight to the CNC? I don't really know. I don't really know, but but it's just interesting. It's it's just a rumor at this stage, so we'll see what happens. There's also um, a couple of Canadian guys that are getting into it um, from the I-14s, and one of them is a hell of a boat builder, um, builds a lot of 14 stuff, and... I don't know who they're working with, to be honest. They might be working with Paul Beaker on a new design. Um, again, that's another rumour. We're not sure. <laughs> but there's a lot of these little things that are popping up now after the World Championships in the US. Yeah. There seems to be a lot of interest. And, and uh, sort of seed, it's planted seeds all over the world with different developments. It's interesting. I think um, if you love sort of videos about people out of the US... I think from um, from clean who's talking to people about people like like Paul Beaker, um, you know, looking at foils, looking at foil design. You know, I think there's a lot of interest that's been sparked, and um, it's a long learning curve. <laughs> yeah, but I think people like Paul Beaker will be able to design fast. Oh, that, that I've got no I think. think. Well, I think he's already has he been working with Bora. Bora's rather still designed Bora's rather, I think, but. I don't know if you used it or not, but... But that's not my point. My, 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 my point that I was... It always comes back to, we were talking about this before, I don't think, no matter how good you are, you can design stuff, throw them off, unless you sail in the class, because what works on paper is, has got a very high likelihood of not working on a real boat. You know, you can grab it, you know, because you know, I think you've got... Um, Holdroyd, he's the technical director from T- Team New Zealand. You've got um, Paul, is Paul Baker, isn't he involved? Paul Baker's involved in that. In, yeah. yeah, so all these America's Cup guys it must be slow in America's Cup, aren't they? What are they? <laughs> What's going on in America's Cup? You're either building huge cats or huge tries or you're designing moth pits. I think it must be attractive proposition to design a moth. I mean, it's an exciting thing to do. And, um, it's more of a hobby, surely. There's no money that. And, I, and MX Falls obviously have a have a hand in there's a link there as well to America's Cup yeah there's a link here I suppose, I suppose it's interesting how different teams want a better term approach the same problem and come up with different results like look at look at look again look at Formula 1 cars the same set of rules the same set of parameters but the designs are very very different so it's interesting that you've got you know Holdroyd Beaker and and AMAC all coming out with some things that I assume are going to do the same job and they'll probably be a very similar performance but just attacking it from completely different angles. Yeah, yeah. It's, but that's always the case in development, isn't it? It's, it there's, there's, not, there's more than one right answer. You know, there might be 10 different designs that are capable of doing exactly the same speed. I mean, look at the world speed record. You've got a kite surfer 
Um, you've got a windsurfer. You've got... Hydropier. <laughs> and you've got um, Macquarie, which is... I don't know what that is, but okay. <laughs> it's just Macquarie. Um, all radically different concept, concepts. You know, how can you compare Macquarie with a windsurfer? It's just completely different. And yet... They all do about 50 knots. <laughs> you know, there's just so many different ways, and nobody seems to be able to do 60 knots. Yeah, but you could sleep on Hydro you couldn't sleep on Macquarie. <laughs> no, but isn't it amazing that you've yeah. got completely different designs that are competing and, and doing similar speeds, and it's like a barrier, you know, like 50 something knots, and that's, that's what you get. And um, maybe it's the same with foils, that there's a few different designs that are all capable of doing the same speed. Or will have a roughly similar performance around courts, and they might look a little bit different. So maybe it comes back to the skipper makes all the difference anyway. <laughs> Probably does, yeah. Well, we've had a um, season start at uh, St George, and more importantly, uh, in Australia. In Australia, which is quite exciting because this is when it starts to get warmer down under, and we get good weather, and the sea breezes are already starting to come in. Well, that's a matter of opinion. It's been like summer, winter, summer, winter, summer, yeah, winter lately. It's been like it's like that, but nonetheless, like today is a sea breeze, and um, it's all started to gear up to a good season. We've got um, Volar fleet, which is expanding every day. There's a few new guys that are uh, getting Mark twos. Yeah. I know that um, John Harris is getting back into it. I don't, I don't know how um, regularly he can sail with his having good commitments, but he's got a uh, Mark two on order, and Scott's got a new one as well. So yeah. there's a lot happening. It's, it's quite a good time. So Marty will be busy tweaking Scott's boat in the second Mark too. Marty's always busy. It's good. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's 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 good to see that um, things are picking up for Belmont. There's there's definitely an influx of new people getting in for Belmont. Well, I know, I know, sailors. Well, I know the Belmont programs all started. Yeah. Well, it has to. I mean, if you want to do well, you, you'd get into it for this season rather than next season. If you get into it for next season, you're only going to get about two or three months of sailing before the event. So if you want to give it a good crack, you want to give yourself a year to learn how to sail the boats and get fast yeah. before you go and compete. So who's going to win? Well, look at who's going to win with Belmont, who knows. Um, the Aussie Nationals in Perth. It's not that far away now. What is it, three months away, two yeah, months and a half months Yeah, it's funny, away? you know, that, there's a good thing to talk about, seeing we were struggling out of them on topics. <laughs> but, yeah, I think six out of the ten races are in the morning. The morning? In the morning. So, so light, what, light air, not... Well, yeah. Yeah, I think the morning, the afternoon sea breeze gets up to 25 months. I've heard about Perth, I've actually been there, so I'm wrong. So, the, the free metal doctor... Historically, it comes in every afternoon, 25 months. Apparently, I've never been either. But in the morning... You get the easterly in the morning, that's what I've heard. You get the easterly and that can be up to 15 nights. just depends on the day, sometimes it's five. Because I think we were thinking 25 knots every race. Yeah, I don't think it'll be that. I don't think it's... And somebody else has said that in January they don't seem to get the big uh, sea breezes. It tends to lag a little bit, and, and it's more like February that you start to get them, that, that they really come through. So it could be a fairly, um, oh, I wouldn't say light, but it could be a, a, a regarded it's in moderate conditions as opposed to 25 knots every day, which is good. You know, it's a nice venue. I think we'll probably get about 40 boats. Um, there's a lot of good guys that can't go. You know, I don't think Nathan can go with his 49er World Championships. I know that Matt Belcher, that's, who's getting into it, he, he probably won't be able to go. Um, I think Bora, wouldn't it? Bora? Yeah. 
paints almost all the man most of the dual citizenship. It'll still be good fleet, but um, you know, probably about forty boats. I, I don't think we'll get uh, many more just because of the distance from everything else. Well, it's actually cheaper. I'm not. I'm not going. And we're family. We're all going to New Zealand. But it's actually cheaper for us to fly the entire family, me, Sol, and the two kids, to New Zealand than it would be to fly to Perth. It's a longer flight to um, Perth, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But it's domestic. 4,000 kilometres. So there you go. Here's my vote. Next Aussie Nationals, New Zealand. Cheaper. Full View is a boutique design studio that fuses creativity with strategy to create effective graphic design for web and print. To find out more about their work and services, go to www.ful-vue.com. So you've seen the documents that I've written recently. I've seen them. I haven't read them yet. Well, you know it all anyway. But um, Along with those documents, I've had a lot of comments about people wanting numbers. As in... It's all set up numbers. All set, all set up numbers, yeah. Um, but I think people are asking, if you're asking for what are, you know, what are your numbers, or then I think you're sort of missing the point of the whole deal. So the point is that you read the documents and you figure it out for yourself because you've learned something. Well, there is part of that, but it's, it's, it's more of a case of what works for me won't work for someone else, right? I can tell you what my numbers are because my foil is my main foil is designed by me. No one else runs it, so I can say I'm running 2.2 degrees angle attack on the main foil. So if someone goes and sets a blade rider to run 2.2 degrees angle attack on the main foil, I guarantee they'll have a completely different setup than what I have on my boat. The number is largely irrelevant, but people don't seem to. I don't know. I've sort of a few people that sort of want, want to know. Think there's some magic by knowing knowing the fact that I'm running 2.2 degrees. You know, of angle, I think, that, oh, now they know the number, then that'll work to me, you know, work, work for my advantage. Um, so that's an interesting sort of thing. So what I've tried to do with those documents is provide the base information so people can then take that, learn, and then apply that to their own to their own boats. Um, what is interesting, though, is the, um, we talked about this in the last show, is that how many people now have adjustable, adjustability, adjustable dials, adjustable wands, I think, is there a single boat at St George that isn't running one or the other at the moment? Oh, there's a few. There's a few, but it's it's funny, you know, if you want to kill your boat speed, just put a dial on. <laughs> the best way to make yourself go really, really slow for a while. It's definitely not as um, as easy to use as, as one might think. It's, it's quite, um, quite a night in just knowing how to adjust your boat and how to set it up, not even on the day, on, on a particular run or a leg. It's just amazing. So do you want to run through your attacking technique now? <laughs> what you need to do? Attacking is fine. The bearing away is difficult. Well, so, what you, so just run, run, run me through the, the checklist that you the do. The checklist? You... I can't because it's, it's giving away my setup. <laughs> no, no, no. At no, no, a high level. So you're talking about you'll bear away, you'll make a rotor adjustment, you'll adjust... Uh, I won't really adjust the rudder too much in the bear away until I've... It's more of a fine tune, but I'll probably adjust the adjust dial. Main, adjust the dial, just, adjust the um, Yeah, a couple of, you know, a couple of little bits and pieces. Um, but it's like eight adjustments? No, no, it's five. <laughs> five, <laughs> five adjustments. But the, the good thing is that if I miss one of those five, I will fly out on the bear away. <laughs> you know, if I forgot to dial myself down or... Well, something like that, I'll just, I'll just fly out because it's just not saleable downwind under upwind settings. 
Fun, funny thing is that you end up chasing your setup all the time because you, you might dial yourself down for downward sailing and then you might find that it's a high drug setup and then you'll be dialing yourself up again a little bit. And, and you're just constantly chasing the perfect setup and, and by then, you know, like, you just missed a windshield. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a... And also, if you don't get it quite right, you, you might be slower than what you would have been on the setup that wasn't so adjustable because you might have just killed your speed for, for a particular leg because you got a little bit wrong. It's quite a funny thing, and, and there's no numbers to work off because it seems that the setup is... Um, you know, I adjust my setup based on how much wind I'm sailing and, and what the wave conditions are in front of me. And that might change leg to leg or leg to leg because the breeze kicked in or it died off or it swung around and it's not as choppy anymore, whatever. You know, it's, it's, it's a constant change and my... I find myself concentrating on the dial and the setup more than I do on the sailing. That doesn't make it fast. That makes you very slow. <laughs> so, so is my, my point then. So, what numbers do you, do you want? You know, like because they, they change even. Because I think one thing with the dial, one thing I noticed myself is that I um, now that my boat's actually working, I've, I've noticed a sweet spot in the setup where it just feels good. It's doing what it needs to do. I had my belt crank screw started coming loose. And then I started, the boat wasn't getting up properly, so I tweaked this and I adjusted that bit of rudder. Then I ran out of rudder adjustment, I thought that was a bit weird. Then I started adjusting the dial and, you know, all that sort of things. And so as I progressed around the race, the boat just felt worse and worse and worse. And you started second-guessing, have I, oh, have I put too much dial on? Have I got too much rudder on? Do I not have enough shock cord tension? You start, when I came in to the beach, I noticed the pin had fallen out and my belt crank didn't have a pin in it at all. There's another problem as well in that sometimes you might be flying out and wondering, is it because I've got too much lift on my centerboard or is it because I've got too much suck on the rudder? You know, this, the result's the same. You're flying out, but what's actually causing that? So sometimes you've got to figure out, well, it's really difficult to figure out because you don't really have a, a mark or a way of knowing. It's, it's sort of by feel. So if someone had a boat and they wanted to set it up, just like, like, so someone buys a blade right and they want to do a basic setup, what would you sort of recommend? I can tell you how to set up a prowler. I'm not really an expert in a blade rider. Um, but on a prowler, you'd probably want to run uh, two and a half degrees of angle of attack. So you want to have some running in the water, ideally downwind. So that's, that's where the angle of attack is. You know, the wands, geez, I, don't, I, I go up by eye. I actually look at my wands neutral position and I go oh yeah about there somewhere it's not too scientific <laughs> I don't have a number I have a rough um, position and then I just sail with it and, and I'll see on the day if that's correct or not now this is before the dial I'm talking about yeah, because yeah, I'm yeah. Dialed, so it's adjustable but I'll kind of go and figure out that oh yeah that feels pretty good it's not flicking too much because of the waves or it's not um, bow up or whatever the case might be and then the one length, you know, uh, for a prowler, you probably want to see. Just until you're comfortable. Uh, well, I normally check my one length uh, from the bottom of the hull, so I'll flip the boat upside down, and I will extend my one directly down. And then you'll just write the number down. But there is no magic number, you know. It all depends. It's yeah. all so adjustable and, and varies from boat to boat. And yeah, because I remember um, with short blank, with the you, we never wanted you got a reasonable setup. You never wanted to change it. It just got to the point where it was all... I didn't know. But back then, you know, even now we, we don't understand... You never understand everything. I hope that we understand things better now than we did before, but 
I'm not a guru. There's heaps of people that know a lot more than I do as well, and I'm just sort of it's just my interpretation of what we should have. I know that my interpretation of my old boat is absolutely horrific because that boat was set up so badly. Looking back at it now, you know, four years later, but you just didn't understand things as well back then as you do now. I think everybody's like that. Yeah, everybody's set up to improve. But um, I suppose the bottom line is there is no set of magic numbers. You just have to go and I suppose uh, you can get in the ballpark. You know, you can. I think the, uh, the numbers that Adam May had in the Falling Guide, I think, were ballpark, and that was. I think that was an excellent document, the Falling Guide. And that was basically the difference between the two foils should be around two degrees. Between zero and two degrees. Yeah. So that, so would, that would imply. Yeah. So that would imply centerboard at, um, at two, at two right at zero. Yeah. Yeah, that's that sort of thing gives you a ballpark figure. And then you set your wand up at forty-five degrees to the bow, and then you adjust your wand length to um, see your right on. I wouldn't go forty-five degrees, but yeah, yeah, I'd go more like thirty degrees or twenty-five degrees. But, yeah, but but yeah, yeah, essentially that's the kind of. And that's, and that's a ballpark setup. And that's I that. think you can get a ballpark setup on the beach. Like mm-hmm. when you buy a boat, you can you you can look at some figures and you know like set x amount of degrees on the centerboard, you know two or three degrees, whatever you might want to have, and then get it sort of right, and then sail with it and do the onboard adjustments. Because you, I don't think you can really measure these things. It's very difficult to measure the neutral position for your wand. You know, there's, there's a little bit of play and bend in everything and how do you measure to a millimetre exactly where your neutral position is? No, you don't. I think it's really hard. I think you're better off just sailing with it. And, and you know, you can tell one turn on the um, on the one length, on the little fitting at the end. Yeah, yeah. You can feel one turn, one 360 turn. Yeah. Um, well, it's measure one turn. So this is, this is the point. You should be able to feel. If you yeah. can't, then there's probably, probably another problem the add. Okay, so just to finish off, so I've gone, I've just got my boat, and I want to get it set up. Turn it upside down, measure it. Now, there's a couple of ways you can measure. I, you, you can use the Adam May method. So Adam, there's a spreadsheet that's part of the foiling guide where Adam um, gives a spreadsheet on you know being able to measure your foil angles and work out what their angles are. I personally use my iPhone with a bracket. I use a um, either an app that I've written myself or I download uh, Level uh, from the iPhone. I'll put some photos online about that. I'll write a blog post about it, actually. If you want to do that, how I do that. Or you can buy one of the uh, Angle Pro, Angle Pro, the Angle Pro which is like a model aircraft. It's uh, quite a good little gadget. It's basically used in the model uh, aircraft industry where they measure the angle of attack on the wings when they assemble the little planes. So you can buy one of those things. And fortunately, it's absolutely perfect size to, um, to the... Uh, standard full um, width, I guess. So you can uh, clip one of those on. You, you basically slides over the front and trailing edge. It's like a little record, um, and it gives you a reading relative to, let's say, the bottom of your hull. You can zero the, the, the device into to, you know zero degrees on the bottom of the hull behind the centerboard case. Yeah, because most boats are straight through. They're pretty straight through there. Yeah, um, and then you take the little. Um, the black box, the, the actual electronic box. Uh, yeah, and you click that on the centerboard, and, and you can see what the centerboard is running at relative to the bottom of the hull. So that's quite a good way of just figuring out what you're running on the centerboard. Of course, you have to make sure that the flap is in a neutral position. Yeah, yeah. And normally I'd start off with that. So you'd get the centerboard right, and then I would go, okay, well, I know that that's locked in. I'm happy with the angle of attack. Then, I, then you can do the wand, um, get the neutral position, uh, where you want it to be. Yeah. Uh, wand length is is pretty critical as well. Make sure you're happy with the wand length. 
And I kind of like to lock that in. You know, if you, if you say, you know, I'm happy with the centerboard, I'm happy with the one, I'm happy with the lot one length, um, it makes it easier to, to adjust your rudder if you know that the front of the boat is sorted out. Yeah. So then you can go and change your rudder setting to match or, or, or to fly level or whatever you want. Yeah, whether you do that on the water with the... What do you do that in the water? Or you might want to the rudder adjustment or... Pick your gantry or something like that. But... But it's just, I find it's easier to look at it as two separate units. You look at the centerboard and you get it right, and then you look at the rudder after that. And if you know that the centerboard is right, it makes it easier to tune the rudder. And that's it for this episode of Mothcast. We'll catch you next time.